Hello, my name is Julia Streets and welcome to Diversity Podcast, talking about equality, inclusion and diversity in financial services. On the podcast, we seek to shine a light on positive progress, call out areas requiring further focus and offer lots of ideas to help drive change. And today I'm joined by Jacqueline de Rojas and Edie Lush. Jacqueline de Rojas is the president of Tech UK and the chair of the Digital Leaders Board and chair of Institute of Coding. Her pedigree speaks to a career as a champion, advisor, mentor and innovator working with growth tech firms and she holds non-executive board positions at the PLC's Rightmove, Costain and AO.com. Jacqueline sits on the government's Digital Economy Council and is deeply passionate about technology, enterprise, trade and innovation. Her list of awards is far too long to mention. But top of the list surely must sit her 2018 New Year's Honours CBE for services to international trade and technology. Jacqueline, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Edie Lush is a British-American journalist, author and broadcaster. She is co-host for the Global Goalscast, which is part of the We Are All Human Foundation, an organisation devoted to promoting inclusion and diversity and fighting racism and discrimination. As Executive Director of Hub Culture, Edie has interviewed leading lights from the World Economic Forum in Davos to the UN General Assembly in New York to climate summits around the world. She has been the economics and political correspondent for Bloomberg Television, a columnist at The Week, and associate editor of Spectator Business Magazine. Edie, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Julia. And as always, at the start of the show, we invite each guest to talk about what they're up to at the moment. So Jacqueline, let me start with you. What are you particularly focused on? Gosh, so many things. I am. So on the business side, I am focused on something that's very concerning at the moment, which is that we are happy to educate students in the BAME segment. So one in four students are of ethnic um, descent. And yet that is not reflected in how we employ. And so I am looking at that ratio and I find it astonishing that even when you look at leadership in our sector, we don't see BAME representation in the top levels. And so that's concerning me. And I'm wondering how to attack that, but that's very, very important. So that's on my mind. Secondly, I am focused on the government's post-18 review of education. So that's all to do with student fees. And it's very hard because there are so many constituents in that. But, you know, we've got to do the right thing to educate for a future that is arguably already here. So that's concerning me. And thirdly, perhaps most importantly, I'm a new granny. So I'm very excited about that. That's what's keeping me awake at I night. So, so the workforce today and then also the the student talent coming through and the generation yet to come. How, how wonderful. And Edie, what, what are you up to at the moment? We're lucky to have you in London, frankly. I am really pleased to be here. So what has been keeping me busy? In Davos, we launched season two of Global Goals Cast, which is really exciting uh, the podcast has a lens of diversity and inclusion. So we look at, at the sustainable development goals with a, an eye on how exactly we're going to bring these goals to everybody. We don't actually need to worry about diversity because the world is diverse. We don't need to make it any more diverse. But what we do need to do is think about inclusion. So we need to make sure that everybody around 
the world is brought onto the playing field because then we all do better. And that has been proven so many times. Five minutes. Well, let me just talk about Tech UK because if I've got this right. There are 900 companies in Tech UK, which is half of the tech sector jobs in, in, the, uh, in the United Kingdom. I'm really intrigued, Jacqueline, to hear about how do you encourage your organizations right the way across the country to really take advantage of the commercial potential of inclusivity and diversity? Yeah, it's a really interesting question. So um, we have a huge opportunity to improve the conditions for women and actually not just women, but other minorities in the workforce. Currently, we sit at 17% of women in tech and the needle has not really moved. In fact, when you look at cyber, it's 10%, so it's even lower. So when I joined as president in 2014, what we did was to create a manifesto for change. And that manifesto was quite short. It was about how do we encourage young people into tech? How do we encourage women returners and parents to come back when they've left? How do we hold companies, our members to account when they have uh, a diverse workforce uh, opportunity? Um, and you know, when you look at all of those things, it's um, things like returners programs. How do you stay connected with people when they leave the workforce to go on a break, maternity break, for example? How do we get them back? And actually, what we found was the returners program was not the issue because lots of companies have them. We happen to host a lot of them so people can find them all in one place. The point is that people don't declare when they're going and not coming back. So we almost need a way to electronically tag people so that we can find them. Yes. How do you, you know, you can only drag them back if they self-declare. So it's quite an interesting problem. It's not, it's where are they? Not how do we get them, you know, back into the workforce. It's, it's, it's a location thing. So I'm thinking we must be able to do that through GPS in some way. As you look out to your members across the UK, um, I mean, I imagine you probably travel around quite quite a lot to go and see them. So what in, what impresses you? What inspires you when you when you go out? So it's never about the big things. It's always about the small things. And it's the tiny actions like what are you a bystander or a participant? So are you watching and waiting for the cavalry to arrive and say, I am going to change this for you and I am the government, the company or your boss? Or are you the person that says, my decision, my action will actually make a difference. And that could be someone who is hiring on a team and they choose to go out of their comfort zone and say, I'm going to test my tolerance here and choose someone who isn't like me, but who could bring an awful lot to the team. And that in technology does really matter. And it matters because the rate at, for example, we are building algorithms. If we don't have everybody's voice represented at the table, we will build al algorithms that are exclusive and not inclusive. And that is something that because of the rate that we are creating those algorithms, we can't govern them through policy or regulation. So we have to create a climate of doing the right thing. And that can only really be solved by having all of our voices at the table. And how do you help the hiring managers to, because it, it's quite a courageous step, it's a bit of your, if you're, well, it doesn't matter what size of organization, whether you're a startup or a global organization, it takes some courage to say, look, I, I know I need to hire the diversity because of all these compelling reasons we've presented. 
But actually, you know, I'm just so much more comfortable with what, knowing what I know because I know it works. And at times of economic uncertainty, I've just got to hit the numbers, essentially. How, how do you inspire them to, to think differently and act differently? Yeah, it's a really interesting one, isn't it? Because when you look at what's required in a world where tolerance matters more is you actually have to invest in people's leadership skills. And that right there is where the problem is, is this always boils down to people's ability to be more intellectually open to the possibility of both success and failure. Mm -hmm. In fact, we don't, we always think that success is a straight line from nowhere to somewhere. And actually we learn our most through failure and, and we don't actually tell people that. So I would say it's in leadership investment that, that we really enable people to open up, be more tolerant, be more vulnerable themselves. Because I th certainly think as a leader, I have grown more when I have admitted that I have vulnerabilities. Easy. Let me bring you in here because um, I, I want to sort of shift a little bit to uh, the UN Sustainable Development Goal. Mm. I mean, your podcast, you talk about these incredible, inspiring stories. And I, I think the essence really is about individuals, exactly as Jacqueline was saying, who, who are you going to be a bystander or are you going to be a participant as well? What's, what's particularly impressed you? What's inspired you in your interviews? So, well, first, I think the thing to say is that the Sustainable Development Goals were developed by the United Nations in partnership with hundreds of thousands of people all around the world. So actually, they're your goals, and they're my goals, and there's, they're everybody's goals. They're like the world's to-do list. So it's everything from eradicating poverty to educating everyone to reducing inequality to life on land, life in the sea. And they're actually a measuring stick that we can hold all hold our leaders accountable to because they were signed by 193 countries in 2015. And these are the goals that we want to achieve by 2030. So that's the first thing. Second thing is just an anecdote, actually, for something that Jacqueline said about, um, about algorithms. And I had my own, I actually continually have my own interaction with this algorithm problem because I interview Zambian farmers, Uruguayan um, space scientists. Um, I've interviewed Indian comedians. And I put their, their interviews through an automatic software or an automatic transcription software thing. And I cannot tell you the things that come out. For American, educated in American, probably California, absolutely perfect. Like literally not even the syntax is incorrect. But it turned, actually turned my co-host Claudia's um, words. She said um, Hispanic. It turned it into terrorist. Uh, turned a comedian that I interviewed called Sindhu V into Cindy Movie. And the Zambian farmers, I had to do the whole thing myself. Like not even one word did they get correctly. And it's just an explanation of what happens when you don't include, when you don't get people from around the world with different accents programming this kind of stuff into a computer, it wastes everyone's time and money. So those that's just a tiny example of what you were talking about. What's also interesting is, though, it's not just algorithms. When the seatbelt was invented, women and children died. And they died because they were invented by men of a certain weight and height. Mm -hmm. So it's mm -hmm. not just algorithms. It's everything. The heart of innovation. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But, but, you, but you talk to a lot of people about, what, about how they embrace technology yeah. and sort of bring it back to a sort of technology and uh, skills and potential 
question, if you like. Um, so, so I mean, I was listening to one of your amazing podcasts about a uh, a woman who works on ranches in Argentina in embracing yes, technology. Yes. yes, sorry, Uruguay. Yes. And um, so, so yes, what's impressed you in terms of how entrepreneurs and thinking also about financial inclusion and the potential for technology? What initiatives have you seen that have pushed and embraced diverse cultures to use technology? So I've seen so many. Just to take one, these Zambian farmers, for example, they were um, given a smartphone and trained how to use it. And they were shown how to use an app. Um, this is an app happened to be created by the World Food Program. It's one of our partners on the podcast, but I also know that MasterCard has an initiative like this. There's a couple of other groups, companies out there that do this. It's a mashup app of like Google Maps, mobile money, eBay, and chat. And so I'm my Zambian farmer, and I am way at the end of a dirt road. I take a picture of my Bambara nuts that I want to sell, and I send it onto this platform. And then hundreds of miles away, a trader in Lusaka market can look at those nuts and go, yep, looks good. Um, you know, that person has a couple of good ratings from other traders. I'll buy them. And then through the chat, they can locate a truck going through the area, pick up the nuts. And I can't tell you, in one year, this has transformed the lives of these farmers. Of course, not everybody has gotten the, gotten the technology. But what's really exciting is that a couple of these farmers that I've spoken to, an amazing um, man called Golden Lewindi, uh, a trader called uh, Charity in the Lusaka market, they've helped their community, the community around them to grab onto this technology. So they take pictures of their neighbors' um, crops and get them up onto the uh, onto the app, get them sold. And they've brought people along with them. So um, Golden has started a seed bank. Um, another woman, uh, Maynor Chabota, has, um, she started a library in her house for after school for kids to learn to read. So it's not just that they're doing... All built on technology platforms and... Yeah. So it's all built on the fact that just a phone and some technology has increased their income, which has given them more time, which means that they can give back to their own communities. I mean, it's pretty incredible. And I think that doesn't just happen internationally. I think it's certainly happened across the UK as well. So, you know, hashtag not just London. There are so many tech hubs now which are supporting, you know, communities that are have been quite regionalized and I, by that I mean dark spots technically across the country and we're now finding infrastructure rolling out to you know rural Wales the Isles of Skye and Mull and all of that where you can be an international trader whereas before you had just a very local small opportunity for a lifestyle, possibly survival kind of existence. And now the whole world opens up because technology offers you that opportunity. And that's why infrastructure matters. And as we sit here sort of in the square mile, but talking out to an international audience, because we have listeners uh, around the world. Uh, and I wonder, the big question in my head is, so what can financial services learn from this when they're thinking about what the industry or the world needs today and what it needs tomorrow? 
Easy, can you just kick us off on that question? Sure. I mean, you know, I, I'll be totally honest. Uh, MasterCard is one of our sponsors. And I was speaking to Anne Cairns the other day, who's the vice chair of MasterCard, who was telling me about an incredible program that they've worked on with the government of Egypt, which is actually about alimony payments to, to mothers. And the whole thing was in disarray. Women weren't getting paid. The whole thing was just blocked up. They digitized the payments and actually managed to increase the amount of money and the speed at which women were getting these payments. Cisco actually sponsored an episode last season. And they have a very cool thing called Global Problem Solvers, where they work with middle school students to um, come up with problems in their area and help them help them train them in technology to help them solve the problems that they face. So whether it's water, pollution, graffiti, uh, lack of inclusion in classrooms, all those kind of things, they help them use technology to achieve their goals. So there's tons of things that I think financial companies can do. And, and I think as we look out across the UK, so thinking about uh, how the generation today and tomorrow manages money, both as entrepreneurs and investors and savers themselves, is whether you have any insights on, on how this is changing the world and, and particularly things that the financial services industry should be focused on. So it's not just bleeding edge technology. It's also technology that's been there for a while because when you look at the tap and go technology in the tube, and we now have probably extended the life of Victoriana infrastructure by 20, possibly 30 years, because we've got rid of the queues. We don't need a ticket. We hardly break a stride as we go through the barrier. I'm really excited about that because that was a technology created by the banks. And actually, two to three years ago, we wouldn't even dream of waving our credit cards around because we said, oh my God, it's going to be cloned. In fact, we even had those don't clone me kind of steal things to put our credit cards in. Now, convenience overtakes risk, I feel. And we wildly wave our cards around saying 30 pounds is not enough, thanks very much, whereas it started off with 10. And I think that kind of technology is very insightful. And what I love about that is that there are people in our world who can spot the friction. So someone spotted that it wasn't queue management that was needed. It wasn't a faster ticket machine. It was just, how do we get through the barriers faster? And the person that can spot that problem is going to be what I would call a proper futurist. It's the same, for example, the flight app, which is the app you have in Pizza Express. When you actually want to leave after you've eaten your pizza, you can't get anyone's attention. They don't pay any attention to you because you've already been served. Mm -hmm. And when you say, I do want the bill, they bring you the bill, but then they don't bring the machine. I mean, kill me now. So what they have done is they've put table numbers on, you can just go onto the flight app, pay your bill and go. That is another point of friction and a futurist will have spotted that. And that to me is so exciting in the fintech business. So that's a wonderful moment to bring in Robert and Cynthia with some research to support today's discussion. According to PwC's 18th annual global CEO survey published in 2015, 85% of CEOs at the helm of organisations with a diversity and inclusion strategy said it had enhanced performance. Highly inclusive organisations also rated themselves as being 170% better at innovation. The 2018 UK Government Review of Post-18 Education and Funding will look beyond universities to examine choice and competition across the education sector and make practical recommendations based on the findings. Reforming technical education and increasing the standards of apprenticeships and vocational courses 
will help to provide young people with more choice. T-levels, which are designed to be a high-quality technical alternative to A-levels, will be introduced. A network of institutes of technology will also be built. These institutes will specialise in equipping people with the advanced technical skills that the UK economy needs. The review isn't just about young people. As new technologies continue to impact the economy, retraining for promotions or career changes will become increasingly important. Finally, the review supports flexible, lifelong learning, including part-time and distance learning. So thank you, Cynthia and Robert. And links to the research can be found on our website, www.diversitypodcast.com. And don't forget that's diversity with a C, not with an S, diversitypodcast.com, where you can find all our episodes and sign up for early notifications of future recordings. Please do follow us on Twitter as a diversity pod. And diversity podcast is available on Bright Talk and all good podcast channels. And we'd love a rating because it all helps promote the show. So easy this year, there you were in Davos in the snow. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Rumour has it that diversity and inclusion and equality was on the agenda. Tell us a bit more about what you heard. So it's been increasingly on the agenda for the last couple of years. And and I think you do have to note, however, that the number of women, for example, in the official delegations to Davos still is hovering around that 20%. So that hasn't changed very much, but that's only inside the Congress Center. When you go down the promenade and you're outside it is an incredibly uh, diverse scene. And you now, ha- now have the Equality Lounge, uh, which is all about bringing gender to the, uh, to the table down on the promenade at Hub Culture. I mean, I, I used to have to say, right, I'm going to interview 50% women. And now it's like, oh, wait, no, I got to get some men in there. It is actually, it's, it's a lot easier than it used to be because they're just, people are there. First of all, and just with regards to hub cultures, so that that's actually a forum, that's a space, a physical space yeah. at Davos. Yeah, so we have um, we have a corner on the promenade in Davos, so it's a double story building. We've got an ice house on top, which is all built of recycled, recyclable materials, and then I have my studio that Stan Stalnaker very kindly built me, which is a, an entirely glass. I'm sure it's sustainable. Um, <laughs> I'm sure it must be. I'm sure it must be. Uh, studio and everyone, everyone who comes into my studio, there was a ton of talk about diversity inclusion. So I had Caroline Casey, who was talking about disability and about her valuable campaign. And where's Caroline from? She's originally from Ireland. She is uh, has impaired sight. And she was invited to talk about disability within and bringing that into the whole inclusion conversation. Youth was an enormous uh, topic this year. The co-chairs of the of the conference were all very young people. And I interviewed one of them uh, who is involved with Feed America in, in, weirdly enough, America. There's also a ton going on with female fintech uh, founders in Africa. A lot of them were there and I spoke to a bunch of them. And they're there half to talk about financial technology and financial inclusion and half to talk about just women. So, so my big thought as we sit here looking ahead to 2019, because uh, it'll be very interesting to see how that is reflected in Davos 2020, is when we're on the rise, when economically we're on the climb, it's very easy to talk about diversity, inclusion, and equality right the way across the spectrum. However, at economically uncertain times, I wonder how do we keep it top of the agenda, not become the thing that gets just moved aside. Um Jacqueline, let me bring you in here. I mean, I guess my my big question is, why does diversity matter at times of economic uncertainty? I think it matters more 
um, principally because technology is here to stay. We are simply creating more jobs than we can fill. The borders are arguably closing. The domestic talent pipeline is way too small. And perhaps, you know, when we also look at the war for talent, perhaps diversity and inclusion has found its moment because we can't do it without the others. And I think the big question is always, where are the others in this diversity and inclusion conversation? Well, as is always the way on these two podcasts, the time passes so quickly. It's been a fascinating conversation. I just want to take a moment to thank you both, Jacqueline and Edie. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you. This episode of Diversity Podcast was produced by me, Kieran Yates, on behalf of Julia Streets Productions. Thanks to Cynthia Akinsanya and Roy Pinto Fernandez for their insights. You can find out more about the guests on this week's show on our website, diversitypodcast.com, and that's diversity with a C, not an S. Whilst you're there, you can also sign up to our newsletter for all our latest updates. To be sure of catching all our future podcasts, subscribe to our feed in iTunes or your favourite podcast app. And if you've enjoyed this episode of Diversity Podcast, remember to give us a rating or review. It all helps promote the show to a wider audience. Finally, our Twitter handle is at DiversityPod. Thanks for listening. 